0: Gray squirrels, cute as beans, clever as crows. These ubiquitous furry little denizens of urban parks are so easy to overlook and to misunderstand. In our latest profile of urban wildlife species, we look here at the Eastern Gray Squirrel. And yes, that's gray with an A. It's squirrel parasols, shrinking testicles, color vision, devious deception, swimming, and mass migrations. Welcome to the Single Acorn Podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: your partner making you nuts, child driving you up a tree, simply looking to stash your blahs for the winter, scurry on over to Squirrels Quarrels, the low-cost therapy alternative for all your mental health needs. We offer confidential services for individuals, couples, and families. No nut is too tough for us to crack. Squirrels Quarrels, for when feeling okay is no longer good enough.
0: All right. Well, hey there, fellow naturalists, and welcome to the Single Acorn Podcast. I'm your host, Professor Iwiki. I'm a naturalist and educator with Crow's Path, and I am here with uh, Dr. Fleener, who is joining our podcast. Welcome, Dr. Fleener.
1: Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And we are- No,
0: no. Go for it. (laughs) You're welcome. And we are joined here with the chief matchmaker at the Single Acorn, none other than Glenn Etter.
2: Thank you, thank you for that introduction, welcome, Christine, Dr. Fleener.
1: No, you're welcome.
2: <laughs> I'm here for both of you all's matchmaking needs as well, if you need anything.
0: Okay, well, we have been very excited from the start to have you on, Glenn. As you know, we are the single acorn, and there uh, has been a lot of confusion. We've been getting a lot of emails confusing our company with your company, the single acorn. So maybe you right. could tell us about the single acorn.
2: A single acorn, a dating site for nuts. Basically, (laughs) we mostly match people together that are, um, see themselves as a little bit nuts in a good way. Nutty people, like a nutty professor, or maybe just someone who has a nutty hobby, or occasionally someone who's, uh, I guess, you know, technically insane. But we try to have fewer of those due to some lawsuits that we've encountered lately. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I I
1: didn't know we could uh, plug our. Our businesses on this. That's can, why I do this. Can plug. I plug mine?
0: Yeah, you can plug yours. You can?
1: Yeah, you can. Uh, uh, mine is the acorn doesn't fall too far from the oak tree, and it connects uh, families mostly that have been uh, split up by you know other dating services like like yours.
2: <laughs> we try not to split up too many families. I just want to go on record for that.
1: Yeah, we, we well, definitely
2: try not. I don't my just offer...
1: clientele. <laughs>
0: So you're reuniting acorns that have been dispersed I mean, a little too far from been the tree.
1: dispersed too far from the tree. Yeah. It's not great, honestly, for the biodiversity of the forest when they're
2: trying to <laughs> Yeah. Well, at least, you know, they have something in common. We, yes, we, I do want to make that clear. We, if, if someone is um, technically married and they're like, I'm feeling like I'm going nuts. I want to date someone. We don't, we don't cater to that kind of nuts.
0: Okay. This is not an Ashley Madison type of deal
2: No I'm rethinking my business model lately Because <laughs> I'm well, not you sure I want to piggyback on mine Would you mind because I'm looking for some work
1: Yeah we're pretty close to going out of business Though I think so You, okay, might, well, not, you might not no. Actually want to put all your, your acorns In that basket <laughs> Well it seems
0: like Gwen <laughs> might be a back. perfect match For you then because every week It seems like Gwen has a different job
2: <laughs> I was going to suggest that <laughs> it came up that, yeah, we would be a good match in a business sense. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: But I think one of these weeks it's going to work out, T, Professor Weegee. Yeah. I'm thinking about working at GameStop. You know, if you... <laughs> gonna...
0: We're recording this podcast February 1st of 2021. For <laughs> those of you, yeah, listening to the I know. Future. 20 years
2: later, when, when this is big... Oh, I guess I should have, have said we're yeah, recording this uh,
0: January twenty
2: yeah. fifth. <laughs> Buy low, sell high. <laughs> oh yeah, January fifteenth. Obscene.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gledis put all his money in uh, short sales of uh, <laughs> GameStop. <laughs> that was nuts. Yeah, A dating site for nuts. So we are going to talk about acorns today, and think. Well, we're going to talk about things that are nuts for acorns. So we are talking about squirrels. When we say the word squirrel, we're really emphasizing our eastern U.S. centric worldview. Uh, we're actually talking about the eastern gray squirrel or Sciurus carolinensis. And we are going to yeah, tie in this discussion of this wonderful species with our profiles that we've been doing of other urban species of wildlife. And uh, actually in a couple episodes, we're going to finally profile a plant. Um, and we've been talking about all the different ways in which organisms are adapted to urban environments or the ways in which adaptations that animals have make them particularly well suited for urban environments. And there's probably no better animal to do this than the gray squirrel. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about you know, why squirrels are such important focal species. And it seems like they are alongside of some of the other more charismatic, common uh, urban and suburban wildlife, like chip uh, chickadees or chipmunks, they're like ambassadors for connection to the natural world. They're just so ever-present, but they're not ever-present in the way that, like, cockroaches or rats or these other things that <laughs> occupy maybe somewhat maligned presence are. They're
2: ever-present but cute, you might They're say.
0: super, super cute. They've got big, doughy eyes. They've got furry tails. And... The other thing that they uh, are
1: we talking about cockroaches. We're talking
0: about cockroaches still. Yeah. Um, did you say doughy eyes, Teague? I haven't I heard
1: did. that expression.
0: I like that. We do on My
2: website. I meant oh, Dough like. I thought you dough. meant like like cookie dough.
0: No. you just gonna need them. Maybe I'm is... just missaying it. Yeah. <laughs> no,
2: like, I think that's fine. No, doughy like a dough.
0: They've got big old doughy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it, and then the other thing that they do is they engage with us directly, right? So one of the things that can be difficult about nature connection is like when you get excited about connecting to the natural world, you just set, you let out this air of desperation. You're like, I just want to connect to something, anything. And the squirrels are always right there to receive you with open arms. It seems like they're just everywhere. They're really curious and they're pretty easily tamed. So they make great ambassadors for the natural world. So.
2: Yeah, and if you want to attract one, you can just put up a bird feeder and voilà.
0: <laughs> Although I have to say, so I built a squirrel feeder in my yard, which is just a platform, I built like a miniature table squirrel and feeder. chair
2: for them. And, and birds kept coming and taking it.
0: Blue jays. I was so angry what? because the I yeah, I had uh like a section cup bird feeder and this red squirrel kept jumping up and getting onto the bird feeder so i was angry but then i put up the squirrel feeder and then the birds got it and then i was angry and i was like it just (laughs) you can't do anything right
1: well squirrels are nothing but innovative i appreciate that about that yeah
0: for sure
2: maybe they were playing a joke on you by letting the birds get their feeder they they knew you were trying to feed them
0: yeah they're
2: like mind
0: trick (laughs) i don't know that they're that devilish
2: okay well maybe this podcast
0: will help us decide Yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah, if you're a squirrel and you have deceived any one of us, please call this number. (laughs) That's true. It might help them.
0: Definitely not a hotline for squirrels. Please stop calling me squirrels.
1: (laughs) Five, 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 five.
2: And stop stealing people's phones.
0: Yeah. So let's start with the taxonomy. So uh, I am teaching wildlife ecology and botany this semester, and uh, we did a taxonomy lesson for both classes to start. And I have my students come up with different mnemonics. I chose a couple of different mnemonics for remembering the kingdom phylum class, order, family, genus, species, or for plants, kingdom, domain, class order, family, genus, species. And I'm going to read two of my favorite ones from my students so one of them was keep putting cookies out for good santas which i thought was oh, pretty good yeah and then uh, kangaroos prefer cake or frosting generally speaking <laughs> 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 pretty good one
2: can i i made up one today can i share it t yeah go for it um it has a silent k for the first one is that acceptable that's fine yeah that's great <laughs> i felt like that might be breaking the rules it was neil priceless children only for giant squid <laughs> yeah you can use that it's a squid-friendly one.
0: It is a squid-friendly one. Thanks
2: for noticing.
0: We have to appeal to all of our intelligent listeners. <laughs> well,
2: it should just be about land animals, really, even though we are a single acorn. Acorns float <laughs> out to sea sometimes. Uh, are, do they? I think they might. Wouldn't they? Do they float? They don't float They're, that well. Yeah,
0: they there must, must be sea. coastal species of live oaks that float to islands. I would okay. imagine.
1: Didn't Darwin write like an entire book about this? <laughs> yeah,
0: but he was focusing on uh, coconuts and. I think other That's stuff, true. I don't know.
1: And and how, yeah, like how many swallows it takes to carry a coconut across there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty how many? sure an acorn
2: is a tiny coconut. I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure. That's my understanding.
0: How many swallows to carry a coconut? I don't know that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you were a <laughs> doctor?
1: Doctor, doctor? I'm a, doc- I'm a doctor of acorns. Dr. She helps the okay. swallows
2: and the acorns out after the experience.
0: All right. So for the taxonomy for squirrels, we've got kingdom, animalia, no surprises. Phylum cordata, still no surprises. Class, mammalia, furry, nipply. And although uh, <laughs> not all mammals have nipples. Can you guys name the two mammals that don't have nipples?
1: no nipples no nipples. my uncle john
0: only had one nipple <laughs> yeah that's true so yeah, he had know? he had nipple but not nipples a single nipple was uh, his podcast
1: is it like a monodream is it like a platypus because yeah. of their eggy yeah. situation that's true
0: yeah well uh, you could still lay an egg but then also nurse your young
1: Oops, all nipples. they just right, they okay.
0: nurse their young they just secrete milk through their uh, out of their belly
1: Mm. I think we might have already right. covered this,
0: and there's one other one that also Cause It's like a- is another monotreme. The echidna. Yeah, there you go. There are two species of echidnas, but uh, and they uh, like basically sweat milk out their backs.
2: So one's huh, one's belly and one's belly. Yeah,
1: but I that's a normal thing that <laughs> human females do. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why we wanted you especially to join the podcast because give that I'm term- from space perspective. Cause- <laughs> I don't know where milk comes from. Christine
2: the monotreme. Mm -hmm. Cool name. Cool handle. My
1: students call me crustacean. Oh, yeah?
0: (laughs) Christina dream. All right. uh, So class, Mammalia, as we covered. And then order, Rodentia. So these are rodents. And the family is uh, Sciuridae or Sciuridae or Sciuridae. I prefer Sciuridae. And these are all the squirrely little critters. So it includes the like tree squirrels and the ground squirrels and the flying squirrels. And then we get to the genus. And this is Cyrus. And the species is Carolinensis. You know, taxonomy is tricky because they're lumpers and they're splitters. And depending on what decade you're looking at and who you ask, they're anywhere from like 10 to 25 different species uh, in the genus Cyrus. And we are talking to Cyrus carolinensis. And there are a bunch of different subspecies, but I don't care about subspecies as much as I probably should. But yeah, so Cyrus means anyone know?
1: Shadow puppet.
0: Shadow puppet. Yep. <laughs> that, that would be amazing. It doesn't. <laughs>
1: Okay, so I'm not a doctor. No, 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 but you're
0: close. So, uh, did you know, uh, or that I was? I
1: knew it was shadow something. I knew it was like a shadow. Shadow tail. You know, shadow.
2: Yeah, their tails are so big, right, that they can.
1: They're in their own shadow. They can use them to
2: hide and spy on people.
0: They got big old parasols. So there's a bunch of you know different hypotheses about what their tails actually function for. Uh, But one of the cool things about scientific names is once something gets named you know classified with official scientific name that scientific name sticks forever uh, unless it gets reclassified into a genus, different genus but so we're stuck with Ceres. so if
1: you pee your pants on the playground you get to be pants peer squirrel <laughs> rest... for the rest yeah of unless That's you true, true, true. can convince and a taxonomist to change your yeah. classification yeah. to a
0: different <laughs> genus Yeah, so skia is Greek for shade and ura is Greek for tail. So they are shade tails. Uh, Yeah, so it's kind of cool because the the old Greek, so the name squirrel or the word squirrel comes from an ancient Greek that's slowly been changed a little bit over time. And there's even old English word skug for squirrel. That's a derivative of, yeah, squirrel, but comes from Cyrus. So it's not all the time that you get a scientific name that syncs up so nicely with the common name. Uh, And then Carolinensis means from the Carolinas. So uh, we talked about this earlier in a different podcast that a bunch of the, you know, if you have Anna or ensis on the end of the scientific name, then it just means from that place. So from the Carolinas. Glenn, spell gray for me.
2: Teague, I know that this means a lot to you. That (laughs) God forbid we would spell it G-R-E-Y, like Gandalf the Gray. I I thought, as a former English teacher, among my actual real former professions, that G-R-E-Y was the English spelling of Gray, from England, G-R-A-Y was American. If it's an American species, it should be G-R-A-Y, right, Gray?
0: Yeah, it is, thank goodness. Although it depends, because we were talking about this uh, earlier, before we got on, but gray squirrels have been introduced all over and there are a lot of publications from that come out of europe and the united kingdom in particular and all those publications are g-r-e-y for the gray squirrels and so you can immediately tell when you're reading the title of a scientific article if it was published uh in america or in the united kingdom based on the e or the a but here in america gotta put that a in there or not, whatever. We were talking about this last time with the opossums. Possum, opossum, who cares? It's all for A-possum. But with yeah. scientific names, you got to be specific. Uh, yeah, so we'll say gray with a G-R-A-Y.
1: So whenever I say gray, I'm saying gray, not gray. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. You get an A. Uh, yeah, unless you go across a pond and then you're saying gray. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we find gray squirrels? Carolina. Carolina, yeah. Apparently, all over <laughs> are Europe. We, with all are
1: we just? Yeah, that's true. Scientific papers. Are we just uh, forgetting about Western gray squirrels?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so Christine is joining us from Portland. So, yeah. Tell us about I your know, gray squirrels. Portland,
1: swirls. Oregon, the one on the west coast. Yeah. So we actually they are Grizius instead of carolinensis, and which actually means gray. So I feel like they, but gray, not gray. So I feel like. They should get a little bit more of that credit, um, <laughs> the, but the... they're bigger than the eastern gray squirrels, and yet still the eastern gray squirrels have displaced and are outcompeting our western gray squirrels, which I find very interesting, because usually it is the largeness of the eastern gray squirrel that is detrimental or outcompetes other native fox squirrels so riddle me that uh well fox
0: squirrels are actually larger than eastern gray squirrels
1: well i take it back (laughs) however (laughs) however i'm not a squirrel doctor
0: (laughs) yeah if we were talking about macaques then you would have the edge over me in every possible way uh but with
1: i could i just do that thing where i just like you know what this reminds me of is much (laughs) yeah and then we just yeah spread that out so with
0: um With gray squirrels, they are so their native range is definitely confined to the eastern part of uh, North America, and they have been introduced all over. And so they've been introduced to the west coast. They've been introduced to uh, United Kingdom, to Italy, South Africa, in places like in uh, Europe, where there is the red squirrel, the European red squirrel. They are significantly larger than that the native species in Europe of red squirrel. But it's not always about size because gray squirrels both Gris- grisius and carolinensis uh western and eastern gray squirrels neither one of them are particularly territorial. They're territorial with a lowercase t but not territorial with the capital t. And so it's not necessarily about physical confrontation. That results in them being able to outcompete things. There are a bunch of other reasons why something might be able to outcompete other species. So you could have parasite that the the invasive species introduces that reduces the uh, ability to reproduce of the native species. Or it might be like with gray squirrels, they're eastern gray squirrels. They're exceptionally curious and great problem solvers and are more persistent at solving problems for finding food and accessing food than western greys are or the european red squirrel and so there are other characteristics other than than just size although size is certainly an advantage like the american mink is larger than the european mink and it outcompetes the the european mink for yeah access to
1: food i'd like to say i wish go ahead dr fleener that Thank you, peon. <laughs> uh, that is the, uh, oh, now I can't remember what I was going to say. You go ahead, Glenn. That's what
2: happens when you bring out <laughs> the peon on someone. I was going to say thank you for bringing up both the parasite strategy and the more clever at solving problem strategy because I tried to outcompete my classmates by having parasites in school, and I wish I had gone for the being more clever in solving problems. So it's helped me rethink my past. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah if you had this this <laughs> podcast you would have a much I, more solid I would, but, understanding but, of. but
2: there's hope for the future you know the children that are listening to this can choose more wisely than i did
0: you uh yeah you should go back and listen to the the scat episode uh <laughs> to figure out other potential uses of your scat that might yeah. deter some Stools of your tools as tools tormentors yeah. and bullies don't end
2: yeah. out a peon like me <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that's right
1: a actually, can I, I say one thing? So I, I'm actually a doctor of comparative human development and specifically wrote my thesis on behavior and cognition. And I was looking up a bunch of research about squirrels in particular. And do you know exactly, Teague and Glenn, do you know exactly why these Western gray squirrels outperform other native squirrels in problem solving tasks?
2: Maybe drinking milk. Because there's a hormones in the milk.
0: <laughs> Did you say drinking milk?
1: <laughs> there's a lot of hormones in milk, Teague.
2: It
0: That's true. It creates
2: developmental issues. I think they're more advanced because of milk.
0: It's actually baking. They're better at baking. <laughs> yes.
2: It it forces you to do measurements.
0: I would I would have to say that it's probably something... I mean, one of the things that the gray squirrels uh, in general do in the genus Cyrus is they are scatter hoarders. And so they have there are two different hoarding strategies. There are larder hoarders and scatter hoarders. Red squirrels, Tamias, Cyrius, Hudsonicus, they are larder hoarders, so they cache everything all in one place, and then they're insanely territorial, defending that one cache site, and then scatter hoarders spread it all over, their food source all over, and so they have to remember where they put it. So I would have, my guess is that it probably has something to do with memory.
1: That's a very interesting idea. Glenn, do you have an interesting idea besides milk other than the milk
2: (laughs) (laughs) you mean another interesting idea (laughs) well i would say that they're you know longer interaction with uh (laughs) i was gonna say longer interaction with people but that's not really true there's probably people they've been around people equally long east coast so there goes that
1: so it is true that, I mean, it depends on if we're talking about urban squirrels or rural squirrels. And now I, that I'm saying it, rural squirrels, that's a tough thing yeah, to a say. Good vocal,
2: good vocal warm up, though.
1: Uh-huh. Urban squirrels do tend to be a little bit more habituated to humans, as you would expect. But yeah, no matter where you are, they are scatter hoarders. They have to remember where things are. But of course, we know that we end up with... They these squirrels they they hide thousands of acorns every season or nuts every season, and they don't always necessarily recall the locations of all of them. And they are certainly not the only scatter hoarders. So actually, in some research that was done in 2019, uh, they found that gray squirrels in particular show higher inhibitory control. So they basically show greater behavioral flexibility when you know confronted with a new problem so so for
2: example if two saucers of milk were out they might be like no i'm not gonna drink the spoiled milk no i'm gonna use my inhibitions to just drink the good milk
1: it is exactly not like that it is (laughs)
2: Thank, thank you for noticing.
1: <laughs> um, it's such that if they were solving a problem, a lot of animals will persist at solving a problem in a way that they think is their preferred way of solving a problem. But squirrels have more, or gray squirrels, I should say, have more flexibility and more inhibitory control, which means they can, they'll can they stop themselves from reaching for that food and they will start to think about other solutions to the problem and Uh. reconsider solutions that they had actually uh, abandoned in previous problems, which is what makes them outperform these other squirrels or these native squirrels, fox squirrels, I think, were what they were being compared to in this particular study.
0: Interesting. Well, so, uh, so Skinner's pigeons, was it Skinner's pigeons or something where they seem to not have that inhibitory function right so like if they were doing an action like preening a wing and the food was dispersed then they would associate that behavior with food getting dispersed or if they were scratching themselves and then food was dispersed to them then they would associate scratching themselves with food being released and so then they would constantly do that same activity over and over to try and get food to be released and they wouldn't Change their strategies. Yeah, even yeah. If so, it it's sort of the animals. opposite of that, where squirrels, demonst- or gray squirrels here, are demonstrating the ability to learn, but also to return to old old strategies, exactly, and abandon new strategies. Exactly. So,
2: would this mean that <clears throat> our Carolinas gray squirrels are better at getting into bird feeders than other squirrels because they're just better problem solvers, basically, through their inhibitory functions? So if, if you're really worried about your bird feeder, maybe moving, yeah, moving to moving. Europe, moving out west <laughs> yeah. would yeah. be the best to, strategy. to an
1: area with dumb squirrels. Yeah. <laughs> dumb,
2: less yeah. clever, we might say. Yeah. We prefer to say that in the dating service.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is generally true that animals that break into the urban scene, the nightlife, um, they tend to be more bold and better problem solvers in general, So, and that this is a heritable thing. So um so it's not just like you based on exposure you're exposed to more cool stimuli and problems in a city and therefore but you can actually pass it on to your your kiddos and they all become cool ravers or whatever <laughs> city squirrels The squirrels yeah. kind to
2: of raves is that what that's, what that's my
1: understanding us. yeah it's like they'd be good little squirrel
2: glow sticks very acrobat <laughs>
0: it it strikes me also that with with gray squirrels they tend to be the most omnivorous of the the squirrel bunch that at least that we have over here you know on the in the northeast and so being in an urban environment where you might not necessarily have food that is the same food as in your native habitat being able to transition and be flexible with your diet and also the more different things that you're eating and squirrels eat over probably a hundred plus different species that they have to be really flexible and figure out how to crack open a walnut, crack open a hickory, crack open an acorn, crack open a bird egg, eat crickets, all these different things. Crack
2: open a milk carton.
0: Crack open a milk <laughs> carton, uh, pour the milk into the saucer, uh, <laughs> clean up the saucer afterwards. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a whole a whole host of activities <laughs> you have to do. Yeah, and then if you're a red squirrel and you're primarily going after cones from conifers and maybe mushrooms also, then you're not necessarily going to have as varied of an activity set that's required for accessing all those foods. Yeah, you don't you can be more rigid. In your strategies. And red squirrels are far less urban than gray squirrels. Yeah, so we've been talking about squirrels in urban environments. And one of the things that I have had a hard time doing over the years as a naturalist that focuses on landscape interpretation and trying to try to discover the changing history of a landscape is it can be really hard to go to a forest that seems old and imagine it as it was 200 years ago when it was maybe a clear-cut forest or an open pasture or something like that and going into an urban landscape and you see squirrels that are everywhere it can be really hard to imagine squirrels being completely absent from cities. And one of the things I found interesting while doing research for this was that squirrels are not necessarily colonizers of urban environments in the same way that maybe house finches might be or cooper's hawks or peregrine falcons that have kind of made their way to these urban environments without being introduced by humans. But it turns out that gray squirrels have been largely successfully introduced into urban spaces because humans have been actively trying to cultivate a squirrel population in different cities around the world. So like all of
2: our cities that have squirrels, had somebody like brought some squirrels there to like plant the the first families, the founding mothers and father squirrels?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so if you look at like uh, records in the early... 1800s to the mid 1800s, there were a number of different people that tried to introduce squirrels into Boston and New York City, and they would introduce these squirrels, and then the squirrel populations would ultimately fail. And part of that re- part of the reason was because squir- uh, cities in the early 1800s looked really different than they what they look like today. There weren't wooded parkland areas. Basically, any place that wasn't built up with buildings was open pasture for cows and or farmland or something like that. So it wasn't a wooded, uh, like a mixed wooded urban habitat like cities are today. So the environment just wasn't suitable for them. Uh, One of the early introductions of squirrels to Europe was actually from Benjamin Franklin, who is totally obsessed with squirrels. <laughs> and he had these, uh, apparently he was... He wanted the, to make
2: the, the squirrel the national bird,
0: right? At one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that's right. No, that was a flying was, squirrel.
2: <laughs> good point. Yeah.
0: Right. Get those mixed up. <clears throat> he was the most famous American in London. And uh, he had these friends that he was staying with. And the little daughter, Georgiana, he wanted to bring her a pet squirrel. So he wrote to his wife and he said that she had to send squirrels immediately. So Deborah sent over a couple of squirrels and he wrote back to her and said, The squirrels came safe and well. A thousand banks are sent you for them. And I thank you for the readiness with which you executed the commission.
2: Do you think he talked like her that formally, like in their every day? <laughs> I thank you for the
0: readiness with which you executed this dinner Yeah, he was writing for dinner. posterity, not for his wife Yeah, so one of the squirrels uh, was uh, Mungo He, Aww. I don't know where the name Mungo came from But he also called it affectionately Skugs And it was a squirrel that like, he toted around with him everywhere And wound up actually getting killed by a dog The squirrel got loose and dog Aww. ran after it And chased it down yeah. and killed it but I'm going to redo this little elegy that he wrote for the squirrel. And, you know, like all great writing, it's not actually what it seems to be about. But he wrote, <laughs> Alas, poor Mungo, happy wert thou, hadst thou known thy own felicity. Remote from the fierce bald eagle, tyrant of thy native woods, thou hadst not to fear from his piercing talons, nor from the murdering gun of the thoughtless sportsman. Safe in thy wired castle... Grimalkin never could annoy thee, daily wert thou fed with the choicest viands, by by the fair hand of an indulgent mistress, but discontented (laughs) thou wouldst have more freedom, too soon, alas, didst thou obtain it, and wandering fell by the merciless fangs of wanton cruel ranger. Learn hence, ye who blindly wish more liberty, whether subjects, sons, squirrels, or daughters, that apparent restraint may be real protection, yielding peace, plenty, and security." That's oh. his elegy for, for Mungo the squirrel. Ranger, um, the
1: Ranger. villain. The villain Rangers. of the story. It's always the
0: dog or the cat. So Grimalkins are cats. Um, you know
2: who else was the villain in that story? The tyrant bald eagle, right? He's already campaigning
0: against the bald that's eagle. That's true. Yeah, squirrel. This was in 1772 also.
2: A vegan yeah. by the way, is a morsel of food. Oh, thanks. Antique.
1: Oh, Just I figured it out. was a tiny little sausage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> could be, could yeah, well be. But this was basically the pattern. So squirrels, as I I mentioned earlier, are just like these totally adorable, easily tame creatures, and they were really uncommon in urban areas. They were more uh, abundant in rural areas. And so they're, you know, for people that were, uh, you know, nobility or of the gentry or whatever that were uh, higher echelon, having a squirrel as a pet was sort of a status symbol because they were just so rare and uncommon but they're also you know a touch of the wildness that you could bring into your home and i think there's something that's in at least the american psyche about we love the things that are cute and tameable and then we hate the things that are untameable like vermin or something there's like this weird tension and so the things that we want in our cities are the things that we can easily control. So whether they're like street trees or squirrels or dogs or cats, uh, we have sort of an affinity for them. But yeah, so can I squirrels, ask, yeah, Can I ask, um, how tameable are they? Because my
2: parents, or my grandparents, who I grew up with, told me repeatedly not, not to like try to reach out and touch squirrels because they would bite me. Not that I did it all the time, but I mean, yeah. is it possible to have pet squirrels? Not that our listeners should go... Domesticate the squirrels around them. But I yeah, thinking. I
0: mean, check your local laws, I guess. But I <laughs> probably differ from a lot of people on this. <laughs> I actively encourage it. I, you know, mentioned that they're these ambassadors of the natural world. There's something really amazing about being able to directly engage and interact with another animal. And so there's this idea, or there's a field of study called ethology, which, Christine, are you an ethologist? Oops.
1: Yep. You got me. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. So what's ethology?
1: Uh, it's a study. It's the ology of, of behavior.
0: Yeah.
2: And, That's like thology that you put on the internet, right? The ethology. Yeah,
0: ethology. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's also the idea behind a ethology is to be able to study the behavior of wild animals without impacting it so free of like a laboratory setting or something like that so you're trying to observe without having an observer's influence
1: yeah actually a big part of the ethology actually what is the root I'm not really sure but is that you're the whole point of it is that you're just describing the behaviors and you're not trying to attribute any meaning to those behaviors so it's very different from like behavioral psychology which is I guess really more where i lean but yeah that's a that's a deep rabbit hole or squirrel hole if you will but that's not for today
2: yeah i think eth- ethology apparently comes from eth our same word as ethos yeah it's connected to a kind of a worldview but also manners somehow so huh yeah manners or behaviors Maybe. yeah i noticed dr Fleener does have good manners except for when she calls people peons but other than that
1: <laughs> we cut that out right <laughs> yeah other
0: than that she's quite tame yes so uh, well so uh what i was getting at was like uh i I am i'm interested in the way that wild animals behave in wild settings but also in urban environments you have this great opportunity to directly interact with and to have reciprocity with wild animals and so taming is a two-way street right so you have to change your behaviors in order to Tame an animal. and so there's things are changing behaviors both from the tamer and the tamed. Uh, and so w- with gray squirrels in uh, so Christine and I both went to University of Chicago and I had started a uh, ye old lovable little scamps feeding club, <laughs> which did not live on past my tenure, uh, at least to my knowledge. but we would go out on the quads during lunch and we would bring food from the or bread old bread from the dorms and we would try and feed the squirrels and, squirrels are one of the reasons they are so good at being in urban environments is they are easily habituated to human presence. And so the other way of saying this is that they are increasingly less startled by potential predators. That's the more confusing way of saying it. (laughs) But if you walk by a squirrel one day, then the next day at the same time you walk by again, and neither day you make an aggressive action towards the squirrels, then they're not going to run away and you can get closer and closer to them every day. And so with the, like trying to tame a squirrel, if you're, you know, going to the same spot every day and you're bringing food, food is a great way to an animal's heart. And so you can slowly remove that startle distance until they'll, come up to you and feed you. And it really doesn't take that long at all. Um, on the, I mean, on the quads where they were getting fed by other people, it was, you know, within a week you could be hand-feeding squirrels without much trouble.
2: So my grandparents lied to me. They weren't going to bite me. They were just going to take the, take the food gently from my hand, perhaps.
0: Yeah. There are apparently squirrels that are stories that are probably unfounded of squirrels killing uh, people and dogs.
1: Okay, okay, what? (laughs) I was actually going to say I'm glad I'm here because then I can add a little friction to your pants because I'm actually the opposite mind where you never ever feed, feed wild mammals. It's one thing to feed birds, but mammals, I don't know, they're too sensitive. They always keep coming back. They end up getting fat. They end up getting diabetes. They end up getting taken away by hawks. Which I guess could be worse.
2: Yeah. But what about humans? Are you allowed to feed? Because we're mammals. Yeah, but we're we do tend super, to get
1: fat. We are <laughs> we super domesticated. We taken away by
0: hawks. Okay. So. This is why Christina's is going to be a <laughs> terrible mother. <laughs> Never feed a mammal.
1: Never feed a mammal. They're just coming right back. Don't feed
2: the baby. A hawk will take it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what babies like though is milk. Just want to point that out.
1: I knew. Okay. I knew it was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I,
0: I, I don't know. I think it's one thing if you are going into a, like, whatever this means, a pristine, you know, habitat that's free of human influence and actively setting out to tame an animal in one of those environments. And it's another thing if you have a squirrel that's like the squirrels in my backyard that are, you know, feeding on peanuts that other people are leaving out and they're feeding on, you know, the drops from the bird feeder that I have out. So I, you know, the, in the sense of, and that's another thing that I think is important about and why I mentioned the idea of reciprocity, because if you develop a relationship with a squirrel, on some level, you are saying to that squirrel, you can trust me. And part of that trust should be in, from your own perspective, that you are going to provide for the squirrel, you know, not just temporarily, but through, the months when it needs it most in the winter. So if you just fed it through all the summer and, you know, the spring and the fall, but then, and you attracted all these squirrels to your backyard and then you stop feeding in the winter, then they're going to have, you know, intense competition. And then you're actually not doing them a benefit, but you're endangering them by feeding them. So you have to combine empathy with responsibility, with a strong understanding of the natural history of the organism that you're trying to connect with.
1: Aren't more people I... trying to make friends with rats Just getting out there seeing the cute little no okay
2: i like rats <laughs> there's that whole bubonic plague thing that i think put yeah. a damper on the relationship isn't that a myth
1: a am i a bubonic plague <laughs> denier <laughs> no i mean i thought that there was <laughs> there was some recent uh article that i read about it being all about it wasn't like actually the rat's fault it wasn't so. rats? Anybody I don't know. know? Poor hygiene? Ah, Probably everything shit, should just be blamed them. on poor hygiene. Exactly. Milk being yeah. left out. That's like what? Giardia's beaver fever, <laughs> but
0: you actually don't get Giardia f- from other mammals. You mostly just get it from other humans that you're camping well, with that have really I'll poor hygiene. False blame. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, I guess back to you know the urban squirrels. So uh, ur- squirrels have been introduced to basically every different city and largely from... Uh, people wanting them as pets and then giving them up after they could no longer have them. You know, squirrel introductions were particularly successful starting in the late 1800s. And I was reading a paper that was saying that 70% of the successful introductions were from less than 10 individuals. So it doesn't take a big release of all of these animals into the environment to be able to eventually develop a large population of squirrels. Once they are introduced to an area, they are really pretty devastating to local wildlife, particularly native species of squirrels that they directly compete with. And they are on the list of hunter worst invasive species. And in Italy, they're number two just behind Norway rats.
1: Do we want to mention Baron von Squirrel?
0: <laughs> yeah, let's mention squirrel Baron von it. Squirrel.
1: Go for it. Um, I was just reading about this uh, well, I found this BBC article that's entitled Bedford Duke Blamed for Spread of Gray Squirrel in the UK. And that just makes me very happy because I like the idea that there was a duke that said, I love squirrels in my garden and I shall have squirrels in all of my gardens. And then now <laughs> yeah. everyone in the UK is very mad at this duke a hundred years later. So that's really it,
2: it. I feel like they should call him the Duke of Squirrel because mm. of the song Duke of Earl. And they would sort of have a ah! song. Yes. <laughs> but I like the Baron. Baron's cool too. Grey Baron. Duke of Squirrel. Baron <laughs> song, <laughs> squirrel and Duke, Duke of Squirrel Squirrel. You're <laughs> a theme song for this episode.
0: <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, our theme song will hopefully be about the squirrels, squirrels. of only. Yes.
1: Uh
0: the Which, squirrels uh of Olme. the only Yeah, we're we're gonna get there. Olme. So that's our, our cliffhanger.
2: Is there any chance the squirrels could I mean I feel like once you get to number two, you might as well just be number one. What could they need to do to overtake the Norway rats in Italy? Is there anything we could do to help them?
0: Yeah, one of the the biggest differences is, is, so some of the negative impacts, like squirrels will strip bark, uh, they'll strip the outer bark from things like honeysuckles or cedars uh, for lining their nests. So they build these things called drays, which are these sort of circular nests that that are, you know, affixed to the limbs of uh, trees. And then they'll line the inside with really fibrous material in when i lived in new york city i used to climb trees and then look inside the drays it was did you ever pretty, sleep in a dray <laughs> i didn't they're a little bit too small you can squeeze <laughs> you can into up. a beaver lodge you could put a but baby you definitely there. can't squeeze into Christine a could put beaver one, dray.
2: maybe her child up there when she's upset yeah
1: exactly <laughs> find your own food
0: I, I should clarify that this is dray d-r-e-y uh, not d-r-a-y <laughs> yeah um so but they also uh will strip bark in the winter as sort of a uh, i don't know if it's like a famine food but it does seem to be when there isn't a good fall crop they will chew the inner bark of trees and so they can girdle trees and kill them that way they are far less interested in birds than i think is commonly believed to be true and so uh, like i had it in my head that 75% seventy five percent of bird nests are discovered and half of all bird nests are de- uh, depredated. so they'll eat the eggs from, but that's definitely not true. They'll discover almost a hundred percent of nests, but they'll only eat between three and five percent of the eggs for different species and on the whole, it's, I think, like, 0.5% of eggs what? get eaten by squirrels. So, so why is that? Mm-hmm. These are,
2: like, these incredible problem solvers who are great at getting food. There's these eggs sitting up there in the tree. It's too easy. It so, would go well like with a their challenge.
0: Milk. Yeah, they're like a challenge. I Yeah. I think it's probably, you know, if you're up in a tree eating a food resource that can defend itself, then that <laughs> would be dangerous, right, if you get dive-bombed right. by a bird. So maybe
2: they have a truce of sorts. They just sort of... Yeah. Yeah. Agree to get along. Yeah, it's inspirational.
0: So we were, we were. I was going through these negative impacts, getting at well, why are they number two and not number one? And so they do have all these negative impacts. If they ate more eggs, but if they <laughs> ate more eggs, or if they ate more, I was gonna say grass eggs, but that doesn't really make <laughs> sense. I was trying to make a good transition there. If they ate seeds of crops. <laughs> Yeah, if they oh, right. like, like if corn. they got into granaries and stuff like that in the same way that rats will. Yeah, they'll eat squirrels. Squirrels love corn, corn, right? Squirrels they, are
2: like scourge of the cornfield, partly, right? Squirrels and crows. I've heard that.
0: They are. But one of the things that squirrels require, so rats can dig burrows. And so they can live underground and squirrels live in trees primarily. Uh. And so if you are in a rural agricultural area where it's just farm fields, you're not really going to have squirrels around. You might have squirrels in someone's attic, but they're not going to be foraging, you know, out in cropland. And so squirrels are bad in cities, but they're not as economically damaging, at least to agriculture, as uh, as rats are. I'm going to read you a a, a quote. This is from John C. Inglis, who was the deputy director of the National Security Agency. uh, And this is from 2015. And he said, I don't think paralysis of the electrical grid is more likely by cyber attack than by natural disaster. And frankly, the number one threat experienced to date by the U.S. electrical grid is... Squirrels. Squirrels.
2: Yeah. Squirrels. Domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're a huge, huge problem. There's a really awesome website, and it's sort of tongue-in-cheek. It's amazing. It's a a website that was created as though it was like this cyber terrorist group of squirrels. (laughs) (laughs) And they were posting on the website all of their successful missions to damage the power grid. And uh, it maps out all the different... Over the last, I think since like the 1980s, it maps out all of the different North American power outages that are caused by gray squirrels. And I think it's like 20% of all damaging events to the power grid are by squirrels.
1: Is that why my... Is that why your internet stinks? Well, no. Well, yes. But is that why my squirrel tender profile was so successful? It's all squirrel hackers?
0: (laughs) It's all a bunch of squirrel hackers. Yeah. You're getting the albino pasty white squirrels. Um, Exactly.
2: Yeah. Um. I I actually want to hear about Dr. Fleener's Tinder profile even more than the answer to this question. But what? But but just following up, what do they do to the power? Is it their drays? Do they gnaw on the lines? Oh, well, yeah, so they chew they, them.
0: Or... They chew them. Yeah. They chew so on they them. they're rodents, and rodent is Latin for gnawing, and so they have to gnaw on things all the time because they have these two incisors on the lower jaw and two on the upper jaw oh. that grow forever. And they, you know, they sort of curl as they grow. And if they didn't, if they had just a soft diet of hot dog buns and nothing else, then the teeth wouldn't wear down and they would just continue to grow and they're kind of curled. And so eventually they would curl back and grow into their skull. And obviously that's problematic. And so they, they, if they have a soft diet, they have to gnaw on things to wear down their teeth. It's just like my dog has to, you know, chew on stuff. It's just like a ingrained habit. And so if they are chewing off the insulation of these electrical wires and, you know, I found one that was completely fried near my house uh, and presumably it chewed off the insulation on the wires and then it's, you know, feet are touching two different wires and then, yeah, it gets zapped. And so it overloads the power grid or they create nests that are physically destructive to the, the lines.
1: I've often wondered if there's something about the, the energy that they might feel going through these electrical cords that somehow entices them to chew them. Is that magical thinking? Is that impossible?
0: I, I don't know. I hadn't heard that. It's the 5G. It's getting it's into the It's the 5G. Brains. I knew it was
1: it's, it's the 6G. That's why it hasn't been released yet. I, I hadn't...
0: <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that, if that's true. Oh, okay. It could be. Um, so they're not,
2: they're not chewing on the bark to sharpen their teeth. It's not hard enough, but a good, solid rubber electrical wire well, so, Does I mean, trick. no, they're
0: not, they, they don't chew on trees to, they're chewing on trees for food. They're not actually chewing on the, the wood itself. They're scratching the inner cambial layer that's softer. So they're not doing that to wear down their, their teeth. And in like a, a squirrel's native habitat, they're maybe eating walnuts, which have incredibly strong shells to them. Acorns, not as much, but their very diet of cracking seeds and stuff are yeah just used more generally for a variety of things and so they wear down naturally yeah
1: the duke's name was herbrand russell the 11th duke of bedford just you can file that away
2: perhaps we could get one of his descendants to call into the podcast give us an update
1: yeah how's (laughs) there's squirrels everywhere i can't get rid of him oh god i'm stuck in my basement help help. bring milk (laughs) Yeah, I also read that the squirrels uh, carry squirrel pox, and they decimated a lot of squirrel populations.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they the pox virus is endemic to the region where squirrels are from, and so they have co-evolved some sense of, or not co-evolved, but evolved some sense of immunity to it. And then, what is it? Yeah, Cyrus vulgaris. The red squirrel doesn't have the immunity to it, and so it just yeah, it completely wipes them out. So we were just talking about their skull, but some of the other stuff about their physical description. So typically they are a grayish color with a white belly. In the winter, they have a different pelage, so they will molt twice a year. And one of my favorite things in the winter is they have these little tufts of white fur behind their ears. They just look like these little chunkers. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, physical humor doesn't quite work on a podcast, Christine. Yeah. It's this it audio medium. It. This is
1: what I'm just holding dead squirrel tails up to my face. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then they put on like 50% uh, of their body weight also. So they weigh, you know, a pound, pound and a half. Actually, one of the things that's interesting, my grandma lives down in Florida, and the gray squirrels that I see when I go down there, I'm like, are these all juveniles? But they're just mm. significantly smaller. The further south you go, and then the further north you go, the larger they are, the longer they are. They're just yeah, much larger. And then there's not as much weight variation from summer weight to winter weight in the southern populations.
1: Well,
2: up in Canada, they're as big as a moose. I there's that's true. <laughs> yeah,
1: well,
0: maybe yeah, they they're terrifying. <laughs>
1: the moose
2: are very They're not as the flying squirrels are not as successful there.
0: Yeah, and then one of the the interesting things is that there are there's a significant amount of variation in squirrel color, although I guess it's not like a pure uh, gradient from white to dark, uh, but there are sort of these three distinct morphs of squirrels. So there are the typical gray squirrels, and then there are uh, the albino or white squirrels. There are yeah, two different types of white squirrels. Christine, I'm turning it over to you. I was so excited because we were going to talk about this, and then I found out that Christine actually has family I am, in Illinois.
1: I am from Illinois believe it or not. I know. I have that Western glow, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm from Illinois and I have family from Olney and Olney is one of the epicenters, I would say, of these um, white squirrels. Now I wasn't actually sure if they were albino or lucidic, but I guess they are albino.
0: They're albino. Yeah. They
1: are albino. Yeah. No. And then they're protected, which is interesting coming from my family is a lot of squ- squirrel hunting is kind of hobby of everyone and so i i don't i just don't know how the government keeps them the local government keeps people from from hunting all these beautiful white squirrels money there, there. money baby <laughs> money baby
0: it's mid, the midwest everything's dying in the midwest especially in that part of illinois right and so if you got a cultural yeah. identity that attracts tourists you hold on to it and you sell it baby <laughs>
2: <laughs> how many i'll buy a squirrel come on come on come to holding.
0: It's crazy so they they have I can't remember exactly they have all these laws like can't have cats and dogs off leash and uh, squirrels are protected when crossing the road and stuff there's <laughs> like town ordinances about it yeah so the I guess the story is that in 1902 they were there was some hunter who shot a squirrel, a mama squirrel and then found the nest and there was uh one. Or no, two albino squirrels in it, and then felt bad. Brought those back to a local s- saloon, and then the saloon's like, ah, "I've got to capitalize on this," and so <laughs> then uh they they had them on display at the saloon. Everybody loved it, but got apparently the town there. the town didn't like it. Maybe violating some health codes, and <laughs> so they uh banned the saloon from holding on to the the squirrels, and so they had to let the squirrels go. It's it's really cool. So basically you have a founder's effect here. And so the founder's effect is if you have a very small population that leaves an area and colonizes a new area, their gene pool is not reflective of the larger population's gene pool. And so you have a different, yeah, different ratios of the different mutations of different genes. And so the alleles for leukistic or albino squirrels are really really rare but if you have two albinos that are then introduced into an urban area where this is in 1902 there's not a huge population of squirrels in this town and all of a sudden you have this founder's effect where it's like on the population of deaf people on Martha's Vineyard is way higher because there were a couple of colonists that came over that were deaf that colonized there so it's like more abundant in that gene pool and so it's the same thing here so you had you had these albino squirrels They were protected from dogs and cats hunting them, and there probably weren't a lot of raptors around. And so they were just these protected species. People were probably into them and maybe hand feeding them. And so you had this founder's effect, and the population of gray squirrels generally had more albinos in it, and it's just become this cultural identity. But they've been doing surveys of the squirrels every year, and the population of albinos is declining.
1: Why is it declining? Is it because my family is hunting them? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's probably because other you know, predators have been on the rise. So in 1902, every species of predator, there's a bounty on it. Or there's something toxic in the environment environment that is bioaccumulating in predators and lowering those numbers. So, you know, by the 1980s, you have the recovery of bald eagles, of Cooper's hawks, of peregrine falcons, of all these other predatory species. You have the return of uh, like coyotes start making their way out and replacing wolves, and so all these predatory animals are starting to recover. And while well, they might be protected by people. Yeah, I just found the, the language for the one of the town ordinances. Squirrels are hereby given and granted the right of way on all public streets, sidewalks, <laughs> rights of ways, and thoroughfares, right? And so regardless of what humans are doing, if wild animals are out on the loose, then the albinos are going to be, you know, first to go. And so it's likely just natural predators have returned and are slowly dwindling the population. And probably also because gray squirrels generally have returned to that area they are probably just breeding naturally and so the albino is a recessive trait and so it's going to be less likely to pop up the more gray squirrels you have
2: you know what would help the albino squirrels maybe was replenish their numbers if there was more saucers and bowls of milk out because they would be camouflaged
0: in the milk if they just all the roads were just <laughs> you know troughs <laughs> filled with milk <laughs>
2: maybe just the ditches on the side the culverts <laughs>
0: Yeah. Did you know that I I was just imagining these streets filled with milk (laughs) and uh, squirrels are actually remarkably good swimmers.
2: (laughs) They should have that competition, you know, Olympic style. Yeah.
1: I thought they were really good at jet skis. I don't know. I saw a video. (laughs)
2: Yeah. You have to be able to swim to start jet skiing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, Are you talking about the water skiing ones or jet skiing? Jet skiing. Oh, you're right. The water skiing. That's true. Yeah,
1: so, jet w- ski is sort
0: of a gateway to jet
2: skiing.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I definitely. Say... In the summer when I uh, go canoeing, uh, one of the things that's always exciting to see is in the late summer when food resources tend to be, a, it's before like the fall nut ho- uh, crop, but also, you know, after a lot of the uh, earlier plants have started to dry up and there isn't really a good seed bank for squirrels they start to get more exploratory. And I've seen numerous squirrels swimming across the Winooski River, which, (laughs) uh, and it's always just hilarious to see. You just, it it never looks quite right. I'm always like, what on earth is that? Yeah. Look at that tiny otter. they'll, They'll swim. They're swimmers for sure.
1: Huh why don't they just use a jet ski? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried,
0: when I first saw it, the first interaction I had with the squirrel, I was like, this cannot be happening. The squirrel is in danger. And I, I paddled over to it and I put my paddle in the water and I was like trying to get it into the boat to ferry it across. <laughs> and Slapping it, was a no it it's Like, Yeah, <laughs> it was like, I, I got this. I got I'm this. good. So that was albino squirrels. But uh, this brings us to our major fact for squirrels. And this is around, so every species gets a major fact that is somehow relevant to the world of urban wildlife. And sound on the effect. other end of the spectrum are the melanistic squirrels. And so these are the squirrels that have a mutation in one of their alleles that codes for sort of like reddish or rusty colored fur. And it alters that pigment production and creates all black squirrels. And there's sort of variants of it. So some squirrels are all black with black bellies. Some have brown bellies and some have white bellies, but they always have a black head and tail and back to their bodies. This is really interesting because I you know I worked in New York City and in one of the parks in particular Cortona Park there were just tons of black squirrels and I grew up out in California and I had run a cross-country race at Stanford and uh, we were walking around the campus afterwards and there were all these black squirrels all over Stanford's campus it's just this really cool thing because it is a mutation but it functionally works really really well in cities so then the, the big question is, well there's sort of two questions. One is like how do they get this adaptation and then or this uh, mutation? And then the other one is and is this a adaptation that is more beneficial in a city than it would be in a rural environment? So what do you guys think?
1: Okay. Cities are dark and dank. So <laughs> that's why they do better.
0: What is dank? define dank I don't I mean, know
1: dank it, is either really cool like the kids say or really gross like the kids say
0: yeah <laughs> well I was thinking dank because uh, do you know Glozer's rule
1: uh they, no
0: Glossier's rule is this idea in biology that the further south you go, the darker the coat or the darker the feathers of something. And it has to do with dankness, like the kids say, um, (laughs) (laughs) where as you go further south into the tropics, you have more humid environments and you have more ectoparasites. And so being darker allows your coat to heat up more. I
1: thought it would have had something to do with like reflecting light or something like that. Or no, because black absorbs light. That wouldn't make any sense.
0: Black absorbs light. So you would think in the, the far north that being black would be helpful because in the winter you yeah. could absorb white, but then in the if you were black in the winter, you would contrast too sharply course. with the snow and then you'd be eaten by all the things that want to eat you. Yeah, so I was thinking maybe you meant dank, like having black fur would mean that you were, you know, so w- one of the ways you could test if it was about dankness is you could see is the black mutation more common the further south you go. And the answer is no. The further north you go, Dang it. the more common it is. So then why?
2: Well, couldn't it be both? You are, you can stay warmer, but you can still stay camouflaged in the little shadowy nooks of the city. So you get the best of both worlds. And maybe yeah. also if it happens to be dank.
0: <laughs> <you should laughs> yeah, like the that. kids say. Like the
1: kids say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it seemed... Not improbable, but it seemed a little weird to me that it would actually be around heat retention, but it turns out it actually is around oh. heat. So I just uh, invested in a stock that of a company GameStop? that makes thermal. <laughs> GameStop, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, of a company that makes thermal imaging cameras because I want to buy a camera and I was like all right well, if their stock goes up enough to buy me a camera then I'll get one so maybe <laughs> I'll get one but one of the things that you could do is you could just measure the temperature of a melanistic or black squirrel which is the same exact species to just be clear uh, you can measure a melanistic one and then one with normal coat and see which one is better at absorbing heat and also which one is better at retaining heat and it turns out that black squirrels are about 20 percent more efficient at heat absorption and heat retention than the normal quote unquote normal coloration of squirrels is so and it that has a big selective thing
1: pressure is that much more strong than being completely called out in the middle of a white snowy landscape
0: So for something like a a long-tailed weasel, there is a line above which, because long-tailed weasels in the winter are white white, and in the summer are brown, but there's a line below which they don't change colors in the winter. They never mold to white. And it's because there's not enough snow to make that molt worthwhile. And so with squirrels, squirrels don't have a native range that goes far enough north where they have to really significantly evolve to be like snow coloration adapted. So think about like snowshoe hares versus cottontails, where snowshoe hares have a white winter coat, but cottontails that don't go as far north don't. So it's a selective advantage, but then the disadvantage is there's a a Uh, a group that's studying this right now and they have a program called squirrel mapper so we'll link to this in the show notes and you can participate in their citizen science project and you play this game where they flash images of squirrels in urban and forested environments and you have to click on where the squirrel is and you have to do it as fast as possible and so what they're able to do is look at the results and say is it possible to more easily identify where a black squirrel is in urban or forested environments and if you're a predator then that would be helpful to find all the great uh, the melanistic squirrels. And so it turns out that the and we've sort of bounced around this the native habitat for gray squirrels is in darker forests like a mature old growth oak hickory forest. And the understory is going to be really pretty dark and pretty shady. And so ancestrally the black squirrel mutation was pretty common. And then You know, it's in cities, it also works, like Glenn, what you were saying, where they can get the heat retention benefits, but then also hide in those shady little nooks in in cities in the deep shade, and also against, you know, black uh, background of asphalt and exposed bedrock in city parks, like in Cortona Park, the bedrock was really quite dark. It's pretty, pretty cool that it has this thermal benefit, but also it does actually have a camouflage benefit.
2: Plus their tails are even shadier, you know? Yeah. They're
0: melanistic, so
2: they probably feel better about their name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Increased self-esteem helps them survive. That that's what I was theory. thinking.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah,
1: that's pretty, that's pretty um, is it ground squirrels though that use the heat from their tail to like disorient snakes or predators? Is that...
0: Uh, you know, I asked my wife if she had any questions about squirrels before going on. She's like, yeah, how do they... Do they communicate with other species? And I, I was thinking about about that exactly, because one of their big predators, squirrels are one of the few animals that can see in color other than primates and there are a whole bunch of different ways of of seeing and one of them is like pit vipers see thermal imagery basically. And so ground squirrels, this never really made any sense to me, but flicking your tail increases blood flow to the tail. And then pit vipers would be more likely to strike the tail. And so gray squirrels, which also flick their tails as a predator alarm, would generate heat in their tails. But why wouldn't they just run away rather than sticking Um, around and flicking their tails?
1: You know, now that you say that, it seems like a less intelligent choice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I guess the research that they did that really confirmed that it was effective was that they basically had a little robot squirrel that flicked its tail and a little robot squirrel that didn't flick its tail and robot squirrel that didn't flick its tail got wrecked. Yeah, but I yeah I don't know why. I mean, I presumably if it moves at all, the viper will strike. So I don't know. I'm not mm. a squirrel. I haven't been put in that position, but I I feel like they.
0: Yeah, I thought initially you were going to say the research project was they put the squirrel in a confined space with a, with a viper. <laughs> <pit> viper. Yeah. <laughs> And then tested it. Yeah. I mean, uh, squirrels use, so their tails, I guess we could talk about their tails for a second. Just, uh, they do flick their tails and they also make this like kind of noise for alarming. <laughs> and they also make a bunch of like chuck kind of sounds. And so they use their tails for signaling alarm to predators and also signaling conspecifics. So other squirrels that are nearby that there's a predator in the area to be concerned about. Uh, and then they also use it potentially as parasols for shading from the sun. One of the other things that I've seen, which was bizarre, but I was walking, this is on University of Chicago's campus, and then all of a sudden, out of the sky, dropped a squirrel. <laughs> you know, in autopsies, a bunch of squirrels have, you know, damn it, like broken bones, broken legs and stuff that have healed over. And so but they're usually not fatal uh, falls from trees. And this one had fallen, the lowest branch was I think maybe 30 feet up or something like that. So it had fallen a good distance, but supposedly they use their tails both for balance when they're jumping through the air, but also as a sort of light low level parachute, parachute, a <laughs> low level parachute that slows their flow uh, or their fall Do speed.
1: they twist themselves like cats do and they have that whole torque to flip them over and so they land on their feet?
0: That's a good question. They probably do. I I would assume. Yeah.
1: Interesting. I feel like I don't want to dunk on gray squirrels, but I do want to give a shout out to the (laughs) Belding's ground squirrels. Though, when we're talking about their like level of communication and how they have like different alarm calls for whether it's a terrestrial or aerial attack, Mm. which is very fun and sophisticated. Mm.
0: Yeah. I don't know that gray squirrels do have a different uh, alarm i mean they are you know attacked by both aerial predators and terrestrial predators so it would make sense to have some sort of communication yeah but i'm not sure specifically it's interesting i mean with gray squirrels they're the most you know familiarity breeds contempt and it's like gray That's- squirrels are just so unbelievably common and ubiquitous and the research is surprisingly scant on gray squirrels it's like nobody's interested in them because they're just too obvious which is sad.
2: <laughs> Do they even know then what the g'dang means versus the brrr? The what? Oh, maybe
1: the, 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 the yeah. kind of noise. Or yeah, dialects oh, sorry.
0: Of... Did I say g'dang? I meant vader.
1: Yeah, you have a <laughs> you have an accent. Yeah, I hear it. well, you're talking, You're <laughs> from Portland, so actually. Yeah.
0: Or no, you're from the South. You're from Tennessee. So yeah, maybe they say g'dang down in the <laughs> Smoky Mountains.
2: They say g'dang, Stop eating me. People used to eat squirrels a lot there. You're yeah. not supposed to eat squirrel brains anymore.
1: Oh, I read that. Anymore?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why not?
1: Times change. Parasite danger? Was that what it was?
2: It's one of the prion diseases. Yeah. It Jakob Kretzfeld. I'm mispronouncing huh. that. It'll be in the show notes. I'll carry a degenerative brain disorder to humans. Interesting. You slurp too many squirrel brains.
1: It's possible that the squirrels that planted that rumor. That is true. The same ones that, what? What were the online squirrels doing? Ah, I've forgotten now. The cyber attackers?
0: (laughs) The cyber squirrels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I want to talk about squirrels forever, but we've been going on for too long. I think the last thing that we should talk about is their caching strategies and because there's something there, I think, a few different really amazing facts about them, but just to sort of highlight their intelligence. And so in the fall, one of the things that they do is they will cache. I think, Christine, at the top, you said that, you know, thousands of nuts up to 10,000 different nuts of different species. And they'll cache them so that they can recover them over the course of the winter. They're really not, other than chewing bark, they're not harvesting new material. It's mostly just recovery of stuff they've cached in the fall. So they have to have an incredible, you know, sense of memory, but also olfactory sense to be able to smell the things that they've scent marked. They have glands in their cheek for scenting scent marking things and so they're using a combination of memory and olfaction to recover stuff um yeah but because they are not territorial they're often caching their food in the visible presence of other individuals and i think this is where the the sort of Intelligence of squirrels comes through, and this is what we were talking about with crows of this idea of being able to deceive other organisms. Um, And I know Christine, you spent a lot more time researching and studying this than I have.
1: Well, yeah. So there are some some general hypotheses about why animals become intelligent, so to speak. And granted, who can really agree on what intelligence is? But um, usually, the two biggest contributing factors are um, foraging challenges and social complexity. With squirrels, it's an interesting overlap of the two because they are both, the foraging challenge is intimately connected with a social uh, complexity because like you said, wherever they cache something, they are constantly aware of who is watching, watching them. And even though they have thousands of nuts to spare and I'm sure they would be fine. They, this is like, um, I think this was also on like a Stanford campus or something. They did this study where, you know, they went out and the squirrels would be very deceiving about where they would leave things. So they would either like, be like, I'm digging a hole and I'm going to put my acorn in here. And they'd be like, psych. And then they would bolt and then they'd hide it somewhere else. Or they would, or some of the other things that they would do. They would do, the thing that was interesting was that their level of deception, they were very aware that another person or another squirrel was watching them and they would change their behavior according to who was watching them and how well they could see them. And they would choose different strategies of deceiving them every time, which is what shows that kind of behavioral flexibility i was talking about earlier where they wouldn't just innately do the same process of like fake hide fake hide fake hide real hide it was like a very like wearing like a mustache and a top hat and like <laughs> oh i'm not a squirrel i'm just over here shloop here's an acorn clever stuff like that like disguises
0: yeah have you ever seen the behavior in person
1: yeah oh yeah they're it's very actually. This is a a regular thing of mine to stalk squirrels and then to see if that squirrel tried to deceive me because it hurts. You know. Yeah, it does. But they right? don't trust you. <laughs> no, it's a compliment. It's it. a
2: sign they think you're intelligent as well. That's true. So it's the highest compliment they can pay you, I think.
0: Yeah. I watched uh, I have a video that I'll link in the, the show notes but uh, of a, a squirrel doing this in my backyard and so I was just standing a few feet away from it filming it and it's so ridiculous because it was carrying a big peanut in its mouth and it runs over and it makes a big deal of you know digging up this big hole and it's like scraping up all these uh, leaves and stuff. And then it buries the peanut in there. It doesn't actually. It's still got it in its mouth, this giant peanut. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. And then it makes a big deal of like tamping down all the soil and stuff. And then it hops a few feet away and it does it again. It did like three or four times. And then it kind of slunk off. So it changed its pattern from hopping around or bounding to this slow, stealthy walk. And then it surreptitiously Buried it and then ran off. And it's just like it had the peanut in its mouth the whole time, you know, so I could easily see that this is what was happening. (laughs) Yeah. There's a cool research project done by UFC, University of Chicago uh, researchers, and they played J alarm calls and J sounds while squirrels were caching. They put out food and then when they were caching, and their assessment of it was that. So basically, when you store something to eat later, you're valuing it. You're saying this is valuable enough that I'm going to invest all this time burying it, remembering where it is, and then recovering it later. And otherwise, you would just eat it right then. And so when J alarm calls were played, the squirrels were less likely to bury the food because they are like, it's not worth it because it's likely going to get stolen by these, you know, darn J's that are all around.
1: Yeah, that's so excellent.
0: Yeah. Yeah the other thing that that squirrels will do that's i think shows a maybe not you know some behaviors appear intelligent but they're actually just rote ingrained behaviors but with gray squirrels one of the primary things that they're caching are acorns apparently they recover 85 to 95% so getting any amount of it stolen could significantly you know, be uh, impact them during the winter if they're relying on almost 100% of the stuff that they store. But with acorns, so there are different tannin concentrations. And when you drink wine, if you drink wine that is rich in tannins, it basically destroys proteins in your mouth that give it a dry mouthfeel. And the tannins are a protective layer in an acorn that make it less palatable and less digestible by squirrels or mice or whatever other species would be ingesting them. And white oak acorns, which germinate in the fall, almost immediately after falling, they have really low tannin concentrations. And red oaks have really high tannin concentrations, but they germinate in the spring. And so one of the ideas is that, well, if you have to last all winter, uh, you know, uh, with squirrels potentially eating you, it makes sense to have higher tannin concentrations to defend yourself. And so what squirrels will do, because a germinated acorn is no longer an edible acorn to squirrels, so what they do is they'll chew the embryo, the basically control center of the acorn, of the white oaks, and then bury those. And so they halt the process of germination in the fall, and then they'll cache those so that they still have access to them all winter long. Well, that's interesting. Wow.
1: I mean, it's not a. It's I shouldn't say obviously, but uh, it doesn't sound like that's a learned technique. But it's still amazing that that evolution has produced such an amazing behavior. It also reminds me of like scrub jay caching behavior, where they not only do they have this amazing spatial memory because they have this super developed hippocampus, but they also like have a very good sense of how much time has elapsed and so that they will they're very aware of how long it takes for certain nuts or certain foods that they catch cash to ripen and will like leave and return in just Mm. the right amount of time to consume it or if too much time has passed will abandon it entirely which Hmm. you know is not squirrels but
0: yeah yeah, apparently squirrels will lump their food sources like different types of nuts all together. So they it's chunking. And so they'll have, you know, all of their hickory nuts over here and their white oaks here and the red oaks there. So they can just have a single memory uh, unit allocated to this one type of nut and say it's over in this region. Huh. So That's kind uh, of okay. useful
2: for me because I <clears throat> just the wine bottles I steal from the grocery store, I t- tend to bury them in different spots in the yard. But maybe if I chunk them all... <laughs> I'm not sure, I think the red ones have more tannins, so I'm just trying to figure out how this is going to help me. It's
0: a very good strategy. That's why you have seven, is that why you have seven refrigerators in your, your
2: house? I, it's, it's a fun reason I moved to Vermont, because it's nice and cool underground in the winter here. It preserves, preserves the wine.
0: Well, we didn't even get to talk about squirrel sex, but oh, I think this has probably gone on long enough. Say it
1: so. Um, well, that brings me to my Tinder profile. <laughs>
2: to hear. I think we do need to hear
1: that It's a pretty straightforward story I I never Tinder was always It, it was more of a curiosity More of a, an experimental um, Medium than anything else I never actually met anyone on Tinder But I did try an experiment In which I changed all of my pictures To squirrels in clothing One of the, <laughs> one of the squirrels was wearing a Star Trek uniform Another squirrel <laughs> Playing a How small many- violin
2: So, you don't just have one picture on Tinder. You have several. You get a pick. And
1: actually, this is the best thing is that at the time that I was doing it, you had to link your pictures to a Facebook album. And so I had to specifically make a Facebook album, which I do believe still exists (laughs) on Facebook, that just said Squirrels for Tinder. So,
0: link to that in the show notes also.
1: (laughs) Yeah, link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it was a great success. And
2: you said you got more matches when you.
1: Yeah, because I think other people have the same curiosity. They want to know. And maybe, that's what I'm saying, it might have been those cyber squirrels. And that's why.
0: Did you get a lot of pictures of uh, squirrel genitals from the squirrels that were on Tinder? (laughs) Lots of nuts. Lots of nuts. I I will mention that. So uh, squirrel nuts will change. They'll increase in volume seven times their non-breeding season weight or volume.
1: I will say that whenever we got to the lecture on sexual reproduction in my, like, when I was giving them to students in my like animal behavior class, I would always show them the picture of the squirrel with the enormous testicles and ask everyone to vote about whether or not they thought it was Photoshopped. So can we link to that also in the show notes? Yeah, definitely, definitely
0: link to that. I created a, a dichotomous key to the squirrels in my backyard and for all the females you could just they had different patterns of notches in their ears there's really intense competition for access to breeding females amongst the gray squirrels so a female will initiate the chase and then all the males will chase around and then one will successfully get to copulate And they have these enormous testicles with a huge volume of sperm that they inject. (laughs) Um, And then they also release a copulatory plug. So it's sort of this white hardening uh, substance or mucousy substance that blocks all the sperm that they just deposited. And most females right after copulating will um, groom their genitals and eat the copulatory (laughs) plug and then mate with other males. But it's a way of ensuring... Or s- hopefully ensuring, that. yeah, that your your sperm is the one that, uh, yeah, fertilizes the egg.
2: I was just saying, I wish I'd known all this before we named our our band in high school. Copulatory, and
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize they met such a
2: such a fate.
0: <laughs> Eton. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was one of the Tennessee's finest emo bands. <laughs> <laughs> We were big back then. But the males, when they they mount the females, it's like a pretty physically rough embrace. (laughs) Um, And they often will bite the females' ears. And so there are different notch marks uh, in the females' ears that are usually diagnostic for identifying a single individual. (laughs) All right. Well, we did get to talk about reproduction a little bit. Yeah, just squeeze that in there. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about squirrel migrations, no. mass migrations, uh, a lot of stuff. We'll do a whole season on squirrels, squirrel um, but I think maybe we should probably call it there. So uh, Dr. Fleener, Christine, if I may. Dr. Uh, thank you, f- Dr. Professor Iwiki. Uh, professor Iwiki. I'm not a doctor. Also, technically not a professor. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us and for continu- you'll, you'll be with us every, every episode. You can't get rid of me. And, yeah. No, definitely not. And Glenn, always a pleasure.
2: Yes, always. As always, as always, pleasure. It feels oh. weird to just be talking about squirrel sex and then say "always a pleasure" to me. Yeah, so,
1: like, <laughs> we've been copulatory plugs. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Good night, that's squirrels. it. Take care, everybody. Bye. Care. Bye.
0: Familiarity breeds contempt, but hopefully, this reintroduction to the all-too-common eastern gray squirrel adds a little depth, complexity, intrigue, and even fascination to the topic. From the cute and furry, we now turn to the gross and reclusive. Up next on our urban wildlife profiles, we'll be looking deeply into the world of house spiders. Until then, we'd greatly appreciate you dropping a five-star review for us. It definitely helps us get the word out there on iTunes and other podcast apps. After that, head on over to crowspath.org podcast and get in touch with us through the Woodland Message Board. Here you can ask us questions, suggest future topics, and even post fake ads that we'll read on the air. Alright, naturalists, that's it for now. See you next time on single acorn.